Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Hi, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of the Animal Files podcast. Hope you are all doing well. Today, we're going to have a conversation about herding breeds. And if you don't know what we mean, just hang on. You'll get all the information because you know that we love to bring you a lot of information. So you will have whatever you need. So let's just get right into it because there's a lot here. Mm. So how many of you have a dog that was bred for herding or may have been crossed with a herding breed? How many of you even know if you are caring for a herding type dog? We're going to first discuss some of the important things that you really should know about herding dogs in general. Then we're going to go a bit into more talking about some of the different types of herding dogs that currently exist around the world. So if you are familiar with herding dogs, how much do you actually know about them? If you've had them for a while, I'm guessing you probably are fairly familiar with their traits and characteristics. So as you probably know, dogs that were bred for herding are and were used to assist humans in managing and herding various types of livestock, typically cows and sheep. These dogs are highly intelligent, very energetic, and have an extremely strong work ethic. So because of these dogs' very high energy level, they require not only a large amount of exercise daily, but they also require a great deal of mental stimulation. A lot, more than you would think. Mm -hmm. So you might be wondering, well, why do they need mental stimulation? Why can't I just take them out to run for a couple of hours? Why isn't that good enough? Well, if you think about a dog that is actually doing the herding type of work, they have to have not only endurance to do the job, but they also have to have the mental ability to figure out how to corral the livestock that they're herding in order to be able to perform their job in the most effective way possible. So if you have exercise, physical activity without the mental activity or the mental activity without the physical activity, you're going to end up with challenges because you're not creating the balance that these dogs require. If you do not provide enough exercise for these dogs or enough mental stimulation, you could end up with a dog that becomes bored, anxious, very vocal, and potentially destructive. And just to add, these aren't natural traits of the dog. This is the dog's coping mechanism because you're not doing what the dog needs. Just to clarify that, because these dogs aren't naturally known for being destructive unless they are not being treated the way they are supposed to be being treated by their owners mm -hmm. with the exercise, with the stimulation, with all of that stuff, because they get really bored. And a bored dog is a stressed dog and a stressed dog is going to act out. If you have a stressed dog, I would say nine times out of 10, 
that's your fault, not the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, this can apply to any dog where if you end up having behavior challenges, mm-hmm. there's a good chance that you are probably not giving your animal something that they need. Another way to provide mental stimulation, you know, because these dogs have a very strong work ethic, they need to have a job available for them to do. So that job can occur in different ways. This doesn't necessarily mean that they never want to rest, however, though, but they still need to be given some kind of a job every day. It doesn't have to be a herding kind of job. Although that might be something that they might give themselves if we don't provide them with the job. So if we are conscious and we can creatively find jobs for these dogs to do on a daily basis, then we will avoid them potentially creating their own jobs, which we might not find suitable for us. Yeah. Plus could potentially be dangerous for them as well. Yeah. Like hurting your children. (laughs) You don't want a dog to herd your kids unless you're making a game out of it and the kids are in with the game. But that's a different story. That's like more of enrichment type thing. And both parties are on the same page. But Mm -hmm. if you don't have that, your dog will start hurting your kids and may knock over a two year old and hurt them accidentally. And you're going to have an issue. I mean, it could be as simple as just giving them a backpack to carry one bottle of water while you're on a hike or It's their job to get the newspaper every day from the the sidewalk, you know, Mm -hmm. something that gives them like, oh, good, I can do this. You know, there's lots of little jobs that you can give a dog, you know, they want to please you. So they will do what they're trained to do. And if they do it consistently, that's a job. It is. But at the same time, if there's not enough reward for the job that you're giving them, then they can still get board. Oh yeah. You know, with herding, it's going to change every single time because they're not going to be able to know exactly how the animals they're herding are going to behave. So they have to figure things out as they go. So getting a newspaper might be a great job, but it may end up being too simple. And even though they might feel a benefit of doing it, it may not provide them with enough stimulation. You need to sort of vary it up or find things that are going to be challenging for them. They're smart, remember. With these dogs being highly intelligent, this can be both rewarding as well as challenging. Mostly for you compared to the dogs themselves. (laughs) The benefit of their high intelligence is that you can quickly train them because they will pick up on your cues and your skills easily. And just because these dogs have been specifically bred for herding, this doesn't mean that they are unable to learn other types of jobs and tasks. But the challenge comes in, like we were saying, that with the mental stimulation, you need to frequently find new things for your herding dog to learn to avoid that boredom and possible various behavioral challenges that can occur as a result of that boredom. But Also, these dogs can end up having a strong streak of independence because most herding dogs have to be independent in order to do the job of herding. They can't have somebody constantly saying, oh, do this, do that, do this, do that. They have to be able to know how to do it on their own. So 
that can also sometimes create some resistance when you are trying to train them and get them to do certain things. So another thing about herding dogs is that they are not naturally social by nature. So this means they need to be introduced and involved in various social situations from a young age. And they need to be continually exposed to different people, different animals, different situations. The reason for this is that if we don't support them in becoming social, then they can potentially show aggression to other people, to other animals, or they might become shy, which also could end up leading to aggression if somebody persists on trying to reach out to them or something like that. If they're shy, they could react out of fear, out of trying to protect themselves. Then it becomes an issue with taking them to places like the dog park or even just walking your dog in the neighborhood if they haven't been socialized. Because even though we discourage it, there's still going to be people out there who are going to just reach out to dogs and start trying to to pet them and engage with them without asking permission first. So if we really want to avoid having some kind of an aggression issue, an attack issue, socializing is really important. It's really important for all dogs, but especially dogs that aren't naturally social. Mm -hmm. With purebreds and with the herding dog purebreds as well, there has a tendency to be various health issues that can occur as a result of the breeding. If you have a herding dog mix where they're not 100% a herding dog, then they're not going to be so susceptible to these health issues. And with the way that breeding is starting to come along, the responsible, reputable breeders are making more of an effort to breed these dogs, breed purebreds in general, to not have so many health issues. You'll find that with some of these herding dogs, that they can require a lot of grooming care. You'll find some that will have short, smooth coats, but they can also have long and curly coats. Some of them have double coats, such as the Border Collie. Now, one of the things that some people will do is shave these dogs with the intention of helping the dogs feel cool in the summer. Doesn't work. No, (laughs) this is not a good idea because you're damaging their coat. You're damaging their own ability to regulate the temperature. When it comes to grooming these dogs, what is a more effective option for these dogs? Because some of them can also shed a great deal is frequently brushing them to help remove loose hair and preventing mats from forming. That's going to help with keeping your place clean because the more frequently you brush, the less shedding issues you'll have. You're not going to stop it completely, but it will reduce it. You're not going to end up having to take them to the groomers to get mats cut out. And you're allowing the fur to be more free to be able to do what it's meant to do, which is regulate their temperature. Good nutrition also helps limit shedding as well. If they're getting the right nutrients, their skin is healthier. And when their skin is healthier, their body, even though you're never going to stop shedding, but the body will not shed healthy hair because the skin's in good condition. And that will also help. Yeah. There are some dogs, though, that just naturally will shed 
because of the seasons. So they'll yeah. molt in the summer uh, or when the weather starts to get warmer and they'll get more fur coming in when it gets colder again. Yeah. Cause some of these breeds are actually originating in colder climates. So that, that makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense, but you can always yeah. mitigate some of it because the cheaper and less nutritious food you give any animal, the more they will have skin and shedding issues. Mm-hmm. It's what I've noticed over my years with my cats. I've had cats that were shedding nonstop. And then when I started changing their diets, giving them higher nutrition foods, it's almost like the shedding was down to a bare minimum. And by the time we got to the raw food with Maisie and Frankie, like, yeah, they still shed, but nowhere is near the way my other cats shed just 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. You learn about nutrition and you realize that if you take care of them from the inside out, they're healthier all around. And that goes with dogs as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nutrition can play a big role in the different challenges we can encounter with our pets. Reducing stress can play a big role in reducing the challenges we have with pets. So there's a lot of things that we can look at instead of just looking at the situation or just the exterior. Yeah. Now, if you don't already have a herding dog and don't have experience with them, you should know that these kind of dogs are best for people who are leading an active lifestyle and have the commitment to spend the time to create the jobs for their dogs, developing puzzles for them to figure out, taking them into various social situation and training them to do various things like agility. So it's generally not a good dog for first timers. Now we mentioned behavior challenges that could occur if they become bored or anxious or different things like that, if they're not getting their needs met. So you might see behaviors such as destructive behaviors, such as chewing or digging, and this can develop from boredom or anxiety. Hence the giving themselves a job. Right. (laughs) We must clear this spot of all dirt. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So if you see these kinds of dogs damaging your furniture or causing damage to your carpet or digging holes in your backyard, this might be something you'd want to take a look at. You might see that they develop an anxious nature which again can develop from boredom or being left alone for long periods. These are not good dogs to leave alone for long periods. So if you've got an eight hour job and you have nobody coming in during that time that you're gone and they're alone that whole time, there's a good chance you're going to end up with behavior challenges. These dogs in particular can be very loyal and develop a very strong attachment to their person or people but it's usually one person in particular. And it's probably going to be the one that spends the most time with them and gives them the most stimulation. Right. They're going to gravitate to the person that's giving them what they need. Mm -hmm. We mentioned that they could develop aggression if they do not receive enough or no socialization with other people and animals. Sometimes they can develop obsessive behaviors, which can develop if they are not provided with a proper outlet for their herding instinct. So we mentioned that they could herd children. They could also herd animals, but sometimes they'll even herd vehicles or at least attempt to. And you don't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. They can develop fear-based behaviors, which can develop from 
a lack of exposure to social experiences and new environments. They can become very sensitive to loud noises such as thunder, vehicles backfiring, loud bangs, etc. They can also develop fear-based behaviors that can include aggression, a lot of barking, possibly hiding, and even sometimes submissive behaviors such as peeing on the floor. The last behavior we're going to talk about that could develop as a result of their needs not getting met is that you might find them trying to escape. We mentioned that they're highly intelligent. This intelligence can enable them to find a variety of different ways to escape their home or yard if they become bored, anxious, or aren't being given enough attention. Yeah, because within the breeding of that dog, they have been known over years and years and years and generations and generations to figure stuff out. Mm -hmm. How do I keep these hundred head of sheep in line? They have to figure it out. They're problem solvers. And if they have a problem and they need to get out of the yard because they have a perceived problem, they will figure it out. They're smart. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So that was basically a big overview of herding dogs in general. When we come back from the break, we're going to give you some examples of some of the more commonly known herding dogs and a few examples of some of the less commonly known herding dogs. And you might be surprised. You may uh, not realize that your dog is actually a herding dog. <laughs> and maybe it'll answer some questions for you. <laughs> All right. So with that, we will see you in just a little bit. Hi, everyone. We hope you've been enjoying season three. It's been a great couple of years so far. Moraine and I just want to take a moment and thank you all for joining us on this journey and listening each and every week. We've got lots planned for you this season. Great interviews, great topics, and we're even building you a home on YouTube. If you want to help us out and be at the first in line, just head to YouTube, look for the Animal Files podcast and hit that subscribe button. Or you can just head to the website www.theanimalfilespodcast.com. Now that that's out of the way, let's get back to the conversation. And we are back. Thanks so much for sticking around. It is time to break down what is a herding dog and what that means. So we got a list of dogs here and we're going to run through them because there's quite a bit. You'd be surprised. We're going to run through these and give you a little bit of everything. All the important things that you need to know and what sets these different breeds apart. So take it away. Our first dog is a Pembroke Welsh Corgi. I love Pembrokes. (laughs) Pembroke (laughs) Welsh Corgis are the best. Uh, There's actually a couple of different types of Corgis. So this is one of the specific types. And the Pembroke Welsh Corgi is a small, compact, sturdy breed of herding dog. They have long bodies, short legs, and a short, dense coat. And they originated in Wales in the 10th century. So they've been around for quite a while. They are known for their intelligence, agility, and affectionate and eager to please nature, which makes them pretty easy to train. They're energetic, athletic, playful, and typically are good with children and other pets. Now, this was kind of interesting to learn about. There is a Welsh legend around this breed that says the fairies and elves of Wales 
use the corgis to pull fairy coaches, hmm. work fairy cattle, and serve as a steed for fairy warriors. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently you can see the marks of the fairy saddle over the shoulders of the Pembroke's coat. <laughs> I like that story. Corgis are generally healthy, but they can be prone to hip and elbow dysplasia, degenerative myelopathy, which is a disease that affects the spinal cord, creating muscle weakness and eventually paralysis, as well as cardiac issues, eye disorders, and von Willebrand's disease, which is a bleeding disorder. So they're prone to a lot of different things, but that doesn't mean that every single corgi is going to get something. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take the next breed. And that is probably one of the most popular herding breeds, the Border Collie. And if you like them and you've had them and you want them, listen up. The Border Collie, they're medium-sized, they're lean, they're athletic, they originated in Scotland, and they have a long, dense black and white coat, but there can be some other colors. They're known for their intelligence, which can be very high. Their agility, loyalty, tenacity, and the strong work ethic that we talked about earlier in the show, which makes them highly trainable. They're also affectionate with their personal humans, but can be very reserved when it comes to strangers and people they do not know very well. Potential owners of this breed need to be prepared and have plenty of time, energy, and means to keep their workaholic border collies occupied. They are willing to settle down and cuddle when the work is done. So they're not always on call. <laughs> you can get a good cuddle in. Border collies are susceptible to hip dysplasia and epilepsy. Our next dog is the Australian cattle dog, which is still a, a pretty common dog that a lot of people like. In terms of grooming, they're a little bit easier to take care of because they generally have a much shorter coat. They have also gone by the names of Blue Healer, Red Healer, or Queensland Healer. And they were originated and developed in Australia to work with cattle. They're actually related to the dingo. Interesting. Yeah. And they are a medium-sized, muscular, and athletic herding dog with a blue or red short, danced coat with mottled or speckled markings. They are known for their endurance, their intelligence, their strong work ethic, loyalty, and protective nature. And they're considered to be pretty tough and resilient. These dogs or cattle dogs are prone to hip dysplasia, deafness, and progressive retinal atrophy, which will lead to eventual blindness. Aww. Our next herding dog is one of the most popular dogs, especially for police departments, and that's the German Shepherd. These beautiful dogs are large and muscular with thick, dense coat, and they have a sloping back. But hopefully it will eventually be bred out because they are working towards that. They originated in Germany. And developed to be a working dog, which included herding, but now they are typically used as service dogs, police dogs, and search and rescue dogs. American and European breeders apparently have different approaches. One focuses on appearance, and the other focuses on health, temperament, and ability. 
do you know which one is which? Yes, it's the American breeders typically focus on the appearance. Okay, good to know. So keep that in mind if you're looking for a German Shepherd. They are also known for their loyalty, their courage, their intelligence, their work ethic. If you're noticing a theme, each one of these dogs have high work ethics and their protective nature. However, shepherds are susceptible to elbow and hip dysplasia, degenerative myelopathy, and bloat. The next dog, the Australian Shepherd, is considered a fairly common herding dog, but it's probably a lot less common than some of the other ones that we've already mentioned. They're beautiful dogs, too. They're typically referred to as Aussies. They are a European breed, but they were perfected in California by way of Australia. <laughs> and it was kind of a convoluted little thing there. So I didn't get into the details about that. <laughs> if you want to find more about that, you can search for that. <laughs> now, Aussies are often connected with the rodeo circuit and they are closely associated with the cowboy life. So that's maybe why they're less common in cities. They're probably more commonly seen in the country settings. At least that's what I would guess. These are medium-sized dogs. They're sturdy with a thick double coat that can come in a wide range of coat colors. They're known for their intelligence, loyalty, eager to please nature, strong work ethic, and trainability. They're often referred to as Velcro dogs because they love to be so close to their humans. <laughs> well, that could be fun. <laughs> Lots of cuddle time. too. Yeah, it could be a pain in the butt. But hey, cuddle time is always good. Yes. So these particular shepherds are susceptible to hip dysplasia, cataracts, and epilepsy. Mm. A lot of hip dysplasia with these herding dogs. Yes. All right, our next one is the Belgian Malinois. They were originally developed in Belgium for a variety of tasks, including herding, but they are now commonly used as military dogs, police dogs, or search and rescue dogs. And if I'm not mistaken, they look similar to German Shepherds. Am I correct in that? Somewhat, yeah. It's, yeah. I think it's a different kind of face, but I think yeah, the body face similar. But, yeah. They're medium-sized, muscular, and athletic, and they have a short, smooth, tan or fawn coat. I love the fawn color. Mm. Such a beautiful color. And if you are an avid dog video watcher, you are probably noticing and becoming more familiar with their athletic stunts. These are known for their intelligence, their loyalty, their strong work ethic. There's that word again courage and protective nature these dogs tend to develop extremely strong bonds with their humans and breaking this bond can be hugely damaging to the well-being of the malinois malinois are susceptible to hip dysplasia cataracts and epilepsy next up is the shetland sheepdog i feel like i'm one of those uh, <laughs> i know <laughs> Yeah, these are beautiful, too. Oh, these are so beautiful. <laughs> I love Shelties. Yeah, the Sheltie is another term that they are most frequently referred to as. So they're generally not very big. And they originated in the Shetland Islands of Scotland. 
hence their name. They also used to be called Toonie dogs because Toon, T-O-O-N, was a Shetland word for farm. These dogs can be small to medium sized with long, thick, dense double coats. And they do have really dense coats. Mm-hmm. You can see how kind of puff up around their bodies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes them look a little bit bigger than they really are, or at least a little more um, bulkier than they really are. Yeah, yeah. They have a neck mane and leg tail feathering. They're known for their intelligence, athleticism, agility, trainability, and affectionate nature with their humans. Shelties are, again, susceptible to hip dysplasia, eye problems, dermatological or skin issues, and a few other health issues. There's a little too many to mention. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. Well, our next one to the quote-unquote stage is the Old English Sheepdog, sometimes referred to the OES or bobtails. I've never heard that. Pretty interesting. They originated in England, hence the name, and were bred for herding sheep. They are large, muscular dogs with a shaggy, thick double coat that requires regular brushing to prevent matting. Old English sheepdogs have a peekaboo hairdo and a distinctive nimble yet bear-like gait. They are known for their intelligence, as are the other herding breeds. They are very friendly and affectionate and can be very well-trained, but they may be stubborn. And that's probably because they're smart. Smart dogs do it when they want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) They're generally really good with children and other pets. And these dogs are prone to, again, yes, you guessed it, hip dysplasia, eye problems, and skin issues. Our next dog is the bearded collie. They are sometimes referred to as the beardy because they have a distinctive beard on their face. They originated in England and they were bred for herding sheep. These medium-sized dogs have a long shaggy coat and they are known for their affectionate nature, their extreme intelligence. Again, they're very lively. And again, they can be highly trainable, but they can be independent and willful. They tend to have a characteristic expression That looks like they have a dreamy, faraway gaze. They can be a rambunctious comic and can be a handful for those who aren't ready for their energy and personality. Beardies are prone to hip dysplasia, eye problems, and hypothyroidism. So our last one in the common or mostly common herding breeds is the Welsh sheepdog. These were developed in Wales, and they're also known as the Welsh Collie or the Welsh Farm Collie. They've been bred for herding sheep and have become the national dog of Wales. They're medium-sized, they're sleek, they're athletic, and they have short, medium-length hair and a fox-like face, which makes them really cute. (laughs) They're known for their intelligence, loyalty, and trainability, and strong work ethic, just like the other herding dogs that we've mentioned. They're generally great with children and pets. And again, they are prone to hip dysplasia and eye problems, which tends to be something that is common in all of these breeds. Now we get some less common ones. Yes. 
So you might have heard of perhaps a couple of these, but most of them were pretty new to me and sounded kind of interesting. But we want to caution you that even if these breeds do sound interesting to you, if they are not available where you live, please don't go and seek them out from another country and get them shipped to you because that is not good for these dogs. It's not fair to them to have to go through that stress of being driven or flown or whatever, shipped in some form or fashion to you. So the first dog in this group of dogs is the Bergamasco. And I may not be saying that completely correctly, but that's what it looks like to me. Mm -hmm. It's a rare, medium to large sized muscular herding dog that originated in the Italian Alps or Iran, Persia. It wasn't quite known exactly where they originated from, but it was about 2000 years ago. However, they've only recently been accepted as a breed by the American Kennel Club in 2015. They're known for their intelligence, their loyalty, their work ethic, they're eager to please nature and patient yet protective nature. They're also very excellent problem solvers and very independent when working. Now, what's unique about these dogs is that they have a specific type of coat, which consists of long, thick, loosely matted woven hair, sort of similar to dreadlocks. And this helps to protect them from the elements and wild predators. So this could be more of a challenge to try to take care of their coat because it's not the type of coat that you can just simply brush through, but you also don't want to shave them because you're going to completely damage their coat if you do that. They may be susceptible to hip dysplasia, degenerative myelopathy, and eye issues. All right, this next one, hopefully I don't butcher the name, is Bouvier de Flandres or Bouvier de Flanders. I'm not sure. This is a large, burly, barrel-chested herding dog with a tussled coat that originated in Flanders, Belgium. During World War I, the Bouvier was used for carrying messages and rescuing soldiers. They are large-boned with powerful muscles and a large head with a beard and mustache. They serve pretty much as an all-purpose dog on a farm. They're known for loyalty, intelligence, courage, strong will, affection, and protective nature. Bouviers may be susceptible to myopathy, dysplasias, deafness, epilepsy, and other health issues, which can be a long list. Our next dog is the Entelbucher Mountain Dog. I think that's how it was pronounced. <laughs> it is referred to as the laughing dog of the Swiss Alps. They are medium-sized, rugged, muscular, long-backed cattle dogs that originated in Switzerland. They almost became extinct in the 1900s due to the crossing of them with other breeds. But there was a Swiss professor that specifically had an interest in them and took it upon himself to help revive the breed. Good for him. They're known for their spirit, athleticism, independence in problem solving, strength, agility, and versatility. Entels, as they are sometimes called, require owners who are experienced with strong, self-confident, highly energetic breeds. Entels can be prone to urinary syndrome, 
hip dysplasia, luxating patellas, which is basically the kneecap is moving around, and some eye disorders. Yeah, I wonder if a lot of these dogs, because they're so large, they grow quickly, hence the hip dysplasia. It might be partly because of that. Maybe they're not being fed the right type of food. Maybe they're being worked too hard too quickly before they fully developed. Mm, that that makes also sense. be leading to it. But also, I think a lot of it has to do with the method of breeding, like what characteristics they've wanted to include and the connected health issues that go with those characteristics have not, or at least in the past, have not been looked at. So maybe some of these health issues are going to disappear in the future some point if these breeders are starting to breed them properly. Let's just hope. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Our next dog is the Finnish Laphund. Now, if you're also noticing in this group here, all of these animals basically are in colder climates. Outside of the, I think the Bouvier, most of them are mountain dogs. Mm. It's interesting. I guess that's where people are <laughs> putting their livestock up in the mountains, but I just found that interesting. Well, the Finnish Lapund is a medium-sized muscular reindeer herding dog that originated in Finland, north of the Arctic Circle. They're known for their gentle temperament and their medium-length, thick, soft, dense double coat, which helps protect them from the cold, but also sheds profusely. Just want to add, most dogs with double coats will shed profusely. <laughs> Especially if they are not in a, an environment that they were bred for. Their long tail is typically curled over their back when moving, but will hang down at rest. A distinctive breed trait is the strong startle reflex. This is good to know. The result of centuries <laughs> spent ducking the antlers of ornery reindeer. Yeah, I would say that would be a good, <laughs> good trait to learn. Yeah, right. <laughs> Lappies are prone to, again, elbow and hip dysplasia, progressive retinal atrophy, and degenerative myelopathy. So we've got another sheepdog for you. This one is the Icelandic sheepdog. It is a small to medium-sized herding dog that originated in Iceland in the 9th century, but only became recognized by the American Kennel Club in 2010. In the past, they were actually used to drag puffins from their nesting holes when the farmers were out hunting them. They are known for their dense, thick double coat, which comes in a variety of colors, as well as their friendly and playful personality. This is a Spitz-type breed that has a foxy-looking face, pointed ears, and a bushy, curling tail. Icelandics can be prone to elbow and hip dysplasias, and luxating patellas. Our next one is the Lancashire Healer, also called an Ormskirk Terrier. They are small, sturdy, powerful hunting dog that originated in England with short, thick double coat that sheds a lot. Their population is considered vulnerable, but they are starting to gain a little bit of popularity. They have what's called a healer smile, where they draw back their lips and appear to be smiling like a human. Apparently, this occurs when they are happy and content. I'm sure we've seen dogs with that. 
<laughs> Smile for the camera. <laughs> Cheese. <laughs> they are known for their happiness, their courage, their intelligence, their agility, and their ability to control cattle and sheep despite their small size. These healers may be prone to primary lens luxation and inherited eye disease. It may also be susceptible to cataracts, disc diseases, and cancer. Our last dog that we're going to talk about is the Moody. It's pronounced kind of like Mood, M-O-O-D, but it's M-U-D-I, Moody. It's a rare medium-sized herding dog that originated in Hungary in the 15th century. They also almost became extinct during the Second World War, but they are starting to gradually increase in number. Their torso has a dense, wavy to curly coat that sheds a lot, and they may be born with bobtails or long tails. So their torso tends to have a different kind of coat than what's on their legs and head. They are known for their intelligence, their agility, their ability to work in a variety of environments, all the way from fields to forests. And they do not commonly develop specific health conditions, although they can occur. Interesting. Out of all of those dog breeds, that's the only one that doesn't come with a slew of health issues. (laughs) All right, Hungry, what are you doing right? (laughs) (laughs) Unless they started to, uh, maybe they had health issues before World War II. And then when they started to come back, maybe the breeders that were doing it specifically wanted to do that. See, you breed properly. Look what you can achieve. Right. So- With all of these different dogs that we talked about, and I mean, we didn't list every single one that's out there because there's a lot of different types of herding dog, but you may have noticed that there is a theme in the characteristics and the traits of all of these herding dogs that we've talked about. So as a wrap up of whether or not a herding dog is a good choice for you, it's not a really good option if you don't have enough time to spend with them or if it's your first time taking care of a dog. Remember, they're highly active and energetic, so they're not a good choice if you're a couch potato or a low energy type of person. Most of these dogs have thick double coats that shed regularly, so you will be spending a great deal of time brushing. They are all highly intelligent, love to work, have the ability to problem solve. So exercise alone is not going to be sufficient. You will need to become creative and find the time to mentally engage them in a variety of ways. Many of these dogs can be very strong-willed, which is something that was bred into them because of the jobs that they were bred to do. So you will need to have a firm hand with regular and consistent training and socialization, which means it's like you don't just go and train them as a puppy and then you never train them ever again. This is something that is going to have to be repeated over and over and over as long as you have them, because you're going to have to remind them. Otherwise, you're just going to revert to their typical way of being. (laughs) Yes. And they do not do well if your definition of firm hand means force training. Mm -hmm. That's not going to make you have a good connection with your dog and it also may create behavior issues these are highly intelligent breeds they are not robots and if you think that you can control them like a robot 
Yeah. Choose not to have an animal if that's how you think. (laughs) Yeah. Telling you to have a firm hand does not equate to punishment. They're completely different things. Having a firm hand just means that you are maintaining a certain level of control and you're not allowing the dog to become dominant over you and controlling you. You know, look at it more as like a partnership, but they respect what you are asking them to do. Not that they're afraid of you. Yeah, I would think it would come down to confident. They require Mm. a confident leader, not a confident master. That's a good way of putting it. And as we mentioned as well, another reminder is these dogs will not do well if you leave them alone for hours at a time. If you do have to go and work an eight-hour job or something like that, you will need to find somebody who will come and look after them. So another responsible family member or a reputable pet sitter slash dog walker. Otherwise, try to see if you can work from home or something like that. And if none of these things are an option for you, do not get a herding dog. They're not going to be a good choice for you. So as you can see, these dogs are a lot of work, a lot of responsibility, but they can be also very rewarding to have. And a lot of fun, especially if you're an active person. Yeah. You can actually uh, really experience a working partnership relationship with your animal. You become friends. It's just a different relationship when you have an intelligent dog, because as I like to say a lot of times, animals are people too. And when you have highly intelligent dogs, you get to see them and relate to them as you would possibly, intellectually speaking, as another human. So you can do more. You can enjoy more. The relationship becomes much deeper if you look at these animals as equals. Yeah, I'm going to say equals because (laughs) you work together. Mm -hmm. It's not master slave. It's not, I control you. You do what I say. It's a partnership. Yeah. And if your animals trust you, they're going to want to partner with you and work together with you. Yeah. So as always, we just gave you a ton of information. (laughs) That's a ton (laughs) like we do all the time, which is awesome. If you have any questions, you can always email us. If you got any experiences, You can always email us. All you need to do is just send us an email to the Animal Files podcast at gmail.com. And you might even get a spot in our story time here on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, you know, if you have a great idea or if you've got a question that we can answer in one of our episodes, we can do a shout out to you, letting our audience know that you specifically share this story or ask this particular question. I mean, of course, you can always say if you don't want us to do that, but. (laughs) Well, you can always keep things anonymous if you want, but it's always good to hear where our listeners experience. That helps us bring more to everybody else because somebody out there is probably dealing with the same thing you are. Mm -hmm. So it helps us help you even better. You can also reach out to us if you want on our socials and you can get all of those links over on our website, theanimalfilespodcast.com. You can listen to the podcast straight from there and you can even support us if you like what we do. There are several options for you. Merchandise, donations, 
and our Patreon, which we are trying to grow. And in regards to the Patreon tiers, if there's something that you would like to see as part of one of the tiers that you would find valuable, let us know. Doesn't mean we'll necessarily include it. It depends on what specifically you're asking for, but let us know what you find to be valuable. And then we can add that to one of the tiers if we see that it could be an added benefit. Awesome. Well, I think we covered everything. That was a lot. Join us next week, and I'm sure we're going to have another great conversation. And as we do, we're probably going to bounce it out with something about our feline friends. (laughs) So come back next week, and we will see you then. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.